Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 4. This is lesson number 10 of Part 4. And uh, we've, been, we've been studying in detail in many of these lessons in Part 4, Paul's revelation of the work of God in our lives to bring us to the place of weakness so that we can be made strong in him. But what were the results of these things that Paul took pleasure in? As I read to you before, and we've been studying 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through uh, 10, which I will not read again, but was but ends with... Uh, I endure all these things for Christ's sake. That's a paraphrase. Uh, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 11, I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostle, though I be nothing. Though I be nothing. And then he signs, says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders, in mighty deeds. So the results of being crucified with Christ is a Christ-centered, Christ-empowered faith. Christ's own faith in the Father. So the question then for us, what will be the results of these things in our lives? If we allow the Spirit of God to cause us to be crucified with Christ, the results will be our lives will be Christ living in and through us. We will live as conduits of both the life and the faith of the Son of God. Again, we read this one a few times, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if Christ... For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So whenever I'm trying to earn God's approval by my works and actions, I'm making the death of Christ worthless. Yeah. Wrong motives, which is me trying to do the will of God and the work of God through my own human ability, my own human will, my own human intellect, doing it, living for God and working for God makes the death of Christ worthless. Galatians 2.20 from the Bible in basic English says, I have been put to death on the cross with Christ. Still I am living, no longer I, but Christ is living in me, and the life which I am now living in the flesh, I am living by faith 
the faith of the Son of God, who in love for me gave himself up for me. Darby's translation says it this way, I am crucified with Christ and no longer live. I but Christ lives in me. Let me read that again. I am crucified with Christ and no longer live I, but Christ lives in me. But in that I now live in flesh, I live by faith, the faith of the Son of God, who has loved me and given himself for me. Young's literal translation says, With Christ I have been crucified, and live no more do I, and Christ doth live in me. That which I now live in the flesh, in the faith I live of the Son of God, who did love me and did give himself for me. So what is it that works in me and through me because of being crucified with Christ? Christ's life is the life that will be lived in me because I'm dead. I've died out to my life. If you save your life, you will lose it, Jesus said. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. So when I'm crucified with Christ, I lose my life, but I gain his life living in me, living through me, and all that that includes, the mind of Christ, the character of Christ, the love of Christ for others, uh, the burden of Christ, the passion of Christ, the purpose of Christ, Christ the calling of Christ, because 1 John 4, 17 says, as he is, so are we in this world. That's what he's trying to do. He has said that we are members in particular of the body of Christ in the earth. He's trying to make us, conform us into the image of his son, Christ, so that we are fully in harmony with Christ and who and what the body of Christ is supposed to be which is the body of Christ in the earth. Whatever the body of Christ did on earth for those 33-plus years is what the body of Christ is supposed to be doing on earth now. And then not only will Christ's life be lived in me, but I will no longer live by my faith alone, but I've died out to my faith and my efforts to have faith but now I'm letting his life be lived in me. And because he's abiding in me, Christ abiding in me, according to Ephesians chapter 3, when I'm strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, Christ abides in me, not visiting, taking up residence. And if he's abiding me, then he's abiding in me. And his you can't separate his faith from him. So if he's abiding in me, he's abiding me with his faith. So is his faith going to have to com- compete with my faith to see who gets see which faith gets the work so that we see who has the preeminence and who gets the credit and the glory? Not if we've been crucified with Christ because we not only lost our life, we gave up our life to have his life, but we gave up our faith to have his faith be the faith we live by. Now, how hard is it for God to believe in himself? Which is superior, my faith in God, no matter how great it is, or his faith in himself, 
abiding in me and living through me. Which one of those is better? Which one is better? So the question comes down to this. What was or is, what was during those 33 years or plus years, or what is now the son of God's faith? What is it? Well, the Bible tells us specifically from the mouth of the man Christ Jesus himself. John 5, 17, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Was it equal to, with God? He was God manifest in the flesh, but they didn't see that. They didn't understand that. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son, here's the Son of God's faith, the Son, the sinless Son, the virgin-born Son, the miraculously conceived son, because there was no man involved in begetting only God, the Father, doing the begetting. The son can do nothing of himself. Nothing. The Greek word there for nothing is not even one thing. And when Jesus said to us, without me ye can do nothing, the Greek is there, not even one thing. The son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do. What For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. Well, is there two of them doing it? No. It is the father showing the son what he wants to do. The spirit is showing the man, the son of God is the humanity. Christ is the anointed flesh. The, the, the logos made flesh and dwelt among us. So the spirit is showing the flesh what to do and empowering the flesh to do it. And the flesh is yielding to do that. That is the son of God's Faith, at least one portion of it. For the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things that he that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. Again, the Father isn't doing the work and then saying, Now, and I did this now, son, you do this. Let's I'm gonna teach you how to do this now, son. Now, okay, now I do this. See how I do this? Now, now you try. No, 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 let's let, tweak this, do that. No. The father's not doing it and then having the son do it. The father is showing the son in here. He's seeing it. He's seeing the father doing it. And then he's just yielding to the father for the father to do it through him. Because in other places he said, it's the father doing the works. That's why you have to know that I'm in my father and my father's in me. Because the father is the one doing the work. I'm not doing the work. I can, the son can do nothing of himself. For the father loveth the son, showeth him all things that he doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. And then John chapter 8, verse 28 says, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the son of man, speaking of his crucifixion, then shall ye know 
that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself. But as my father hath taught me, instructed me, I speak these things. He that sent me is with me. The father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. That's where the Lord wants us to get. He wants to conform us to the image of his son. He wants that model of what a son is to be what we live sons. Now again, individually male or female, we are individually sons of God. Collectively, male or female, we're a part of the bride of Christ, which is the body of Christ. And we're members and particulars of that body. But as a member of the body, we function with the body. But God deals with us as a body, a bride, as a collective. He deals with us individually as you would a son. You lead a wife, you correct a son. You lead a wife, you discipline a son. So this is what Jesus did. This is the way that Jesus worked in our lives. Now, just to clarify a point here, I think I have demonstrated that we're talking about the Son of God's faith, but some modern translations, they uh, they translate it not the life that I now live in the flesh, I live uh, by faith in the Son of God. So I have faith in him, so I'm living... By my faith in him. No. I have uh, two uh, books. One that is the uh, King James Version Interlinear Bible, Greek New Testament. And I have a New King James Greek Interlinear New Testament. And an Interlinear Bible has the Greek text and the, in the Greek language. And then it has the Greek text in the English transliteration. And then it has the English word, and both the ones I have have the strong numbers for those words for those of us that aren't Greek scholars, so we can refer to what Greek scholars say about that word. And then it will have the the actual translation uh, the way it is in King James, or in this case, New King James. I looked at both of those Greek texts, and neither one of those texts Greek text had the preposition that would be translated in the Son of God. Every one of them, both of them had the, 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 the Greek preposition that would be of the Son of God. And the big difference is this, of, which is in the Greek text. Now, some of the modern translations, they have a different Greek text, and you have to be careful with them because they leave some stuff out. For instance, the last several verses of Mark 16. And some of them leave out the uh, the last phrase of the Lord teaching us how to pray in Matthew 6. They don't have, uh, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Some of the modern texts don't have that. So the modern translations don't have that. Unless the translator just kind of put in parentheses with a footnote. Well, other Bibles have this, but we don't believe it's in the Yeah, well, the Greek text they're using, it doesn't. But personally, from my research, I, in my spirit, have peace with the Greek text called the Texas Receptus or the Received Text. And I believe that, for me, is the Word of God. 
And there are several translations that are translated from that, about 20 or so. But that other modern translation, uh, modern Greek text, is called uh, Hort and Westcott Greek text or uh, Nestle text are all essentially the same. That's where most of the modern translations are translated from. And about 95% of the time, it's not a big deal. Uh, they're not really different. But there are instances where a little bit of difference, in my personal opinion, make a big difference. They have a, Those little things make a big impact. For instance, uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born of water, King James says, of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, the King James translators were honest enough to put that second of in italics, and that any time a word is italicized in the King James translation, that lets you know the word was not, there was no word, corresponding word in the Greek text. And so the rule of reading a verse with italicized words in it is that if the verse says exactly the same thing with the italicized words as it does without the italicized words, then it's okay to leave the words in there. But if the, if taking the italicized words out changes the meaning of the word, then you have to take them out. And so there's a big difference between saying born of water and of the spirit, which many have taken and created two doctrines on a natural birth and spiritual birth. And with the second of, which was not in the Greek text taken out, then it's born again of water and spirit. So it's one new birth with two parts, not a natural birth and a spiritual birth. So all of that, I said, to get back to this point, proving to you the importance of understanding that it's not faith in the Son of God that we live in the flesh by now. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And again, if I'm living by the life of Christ who's in me, am I living by my faith with him in me? If I'm dead and my life is hid with Christ in God, if I'm crucified with Christ, yet I'm alive because Christ is living in me, whose faith am I going to be living by? Mine or him? I'm not living by faith in him. I'm living by him. And therefore, it is his faith that I live by. Now, the faith of the Son of God was that he could do nothing through himself. He could only do what he saw the Father do, and he didn't do anything his, his, he didn't see his Father do. And he could only speak what he heard his Father say, speaking of ministry, of representing himself as a son. If therefore... If there is ever uh, to be a true apostolic revival in this world, it will only come through those who walk in the faith of the Son of God with the Son of God's life ministering through them. The, excuse me. I want to read that again. It's too important. If there is ever to be a true apostolic revival in this world, it will only come through those who live by the Son of God's life and who walk by the Son of God's faith 
with the Son of God's faith ministering through them. But how can we obtain to or acquire this faith? Uh, it's the question. This faith can only come through the product of being crucified with Christ. Paul says it this way. Uh, he said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with Christ, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. That's the conduit. Rather than being crucified with Christ, uh, rather than cr being crucified with Christ being a negative, uh, uh, a negative process, uh, let me read this again. I'm sorry. Rather than being crucified with Christ being as negative of a process as it may sound to our flesh, it is a process which produces deliverance from our shame, healing, and holiness. It produces deliverance from our shame. It produces healing and produces wholeness in us. What does that do? That positions us in Christ to be his conduit in the earth. Christ lives his life through those who are uh, crucified with him. He lives his life, his life, through those who are crucified with him. Paul's suffering produced in him a peaceful assurance that God was in control of his life. It produced an assurance that he could endure both success and failure and stay saved. And to stay saved, God has to get the glory because he's not giving his glory to anybody. His experiences proved to him that without Christ, he could do nothing. But through Christ, he could endure anything and accomplish everything. This knowledge is of immeasurable value. Because here is the, the consequence that Paul experienced. What a, what a, what an, a declaration of a place he got to. And because God's a respecter of persons, he is willing to take every one of us to this place if we're willing to go there. And I've used this verse before, but we're just kind of going to dwell on a little bit here. Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. He didn't teach himself this. A student is not the teacher. A student learns, the teacher teaches. So he had a teacher. He had someone teaching him. His father, the Lord Jesus Christ, manifested is the Father manifest in the flesh. The Father taught Paul not to be in respect of want. That wanting was a blessing if I understood that I was in the will of God. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am, condition or situation I am in, therewith to be content. <laughs> I don't know about you, 
I spent so many, you know, so many years trying to pray everything going on in my life, bad or wrong or painful or that was causing me pressure, trying to pray it off because I thought I had, we could only have peace by there being no pain, no problem, no pressure because that's all I understood about peace. Jesus said in John during his last teaching session with the apostles before he was taken and crucified, he said, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives peace I unto you. The world's peace. And it's the only peace some Christians have is the world's peace. It's peace when all the outward circumstances are going okay. When there's no pain, no problem, no pressure, there's nothing disrupting my, my world. That's not the peace that Jesus gives. He gave us his peace. And what is his peace? Certainty that his father was in control of everything. And that no matter what the outward circumstances look like, his father was in control. That's why he summarized all of that teaching with these words, have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace because in the world, you are surely going to have tribulation. You don't have a choice in the tribulations. You only have a choice in whether or not you're going to have peace. You don't have a choice in tribulations. The Greek word there is thalipsis, which means pressure. Situations, external situations that cause pressure, whether they have to do with me personally or have to do with the area I'm living in or the country I'm living in or whatever it is, all of these things can cause pressure. Cause pressure. The choice is, Am I going to let all that that's on the outside in here? Because if I do, it's going to disturb me. Or am I going to cast it on him and trust him with it and be crucified with Christ and walk in him and believe he's in control and have peace? That's why the Bible says he is our prince of peace. For unto us a child is more than unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, Isaiah 96 and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Why did he call the King of Peace? Because the throne he wants to sit on is the one in our hearts. And Prince speaks of potential. He can't be the King of Peace in our lives until we get off the throne and have a coronation of the prince now becoming the king of our lives. He now is in charge. That's what being crucified with Christ is all about. Getting off our throne and putting him on our throne so that he rules and reigns in our lives and rules and reigns through our lives in this world. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, for I know both how to be abased, and how to abound. Both of those are amazing challenges. One is not hard, the other easy. They're both very, very challenging. It's just as hard to learn how to be spiritual when you're abounding. And maybe in some ways it's harder than it is to learn how to be abased and be content. The word content means the absence of need or want. All of that is outside of me. My father put me here. What he wants me to have, he promised me I'd have. 
He will take care of it. I trust him. So what are we doing, Jesus? Let's not deal with my circumstance. You're my father. I'm your child. You promised to take care of me. You said you knew what I needed before I asked it. So let's don't dwell on all that, Father. What I want, what, what, what I need, you know about, and when you want me to have it, you'll add it to me. Till then, <laughs> we're not even going to dwell on this. We're going to dwell on what do you want? I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content, to not have wants and needs. I am fine right where I am. If you don't ever change this situation, Father, as long as I have you and you you have me, and as long as I'm surrendered to your will, and as long as your will is being done in and through my life, it's fine. I know both how to be abased and how to be how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need at the same time. I need to learn to be thankful for what God's done, but not be satisfied to continue to desire to see him be glorified more and more and more by what he does in people's lives, whether through me or through somebody else. It's all for his glory. And then Paul makes the famous statement. It is so taken out of context. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. What is it that I can do? I can both be abased and abound, and I can be full and be hungry, and I can abound and suffer need. That's what I can do through Christ, which strengthens me. The trials and tests of life that the Lord allows us to go through are first and foremost a test of our motives. Those who believe that God owes them something because of all that they have done for him prove that they had wrong motives and motives in all that they did. They prove that. It's proven. It's proven. What is our motives? When God lets us be abased, when he lets us be hungry, when he lets us uh, be empty, can we praise him for that? Give him thanks for that? Or we can we only thank him when we're full, when we're abounding? Which is it? Fellowshipping with Christ in his suffering is a vital means of knowing him. If I only want to know his power, the power of his resurrection, his delivering power, he got me out of this, he got me out of that, he, did it, he, he fixed this, he's changed that. If that's the only way I know him, I only know a small portion of Christ. Because to really know him, to fully know him, I have to know him by fellowshipping with him in his sufferings. But this only occurs after the suffering only the suffering occurs only after we first know him in our resurrection. It's not the other way around. We suffer, then he resurrects. No, he resurrected us from being spiritually dead, brought us into him. But now we must suffer with him so we can know him because that suffering brings us to the end of ourselves so that he can be fully God through us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak upon you and upon me the spirit of grace 
from our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I speak this upon you and upon me, that this grace would empower us, would enlighten us, would move upon us and bring us where he wants us to be so that we are all he has designed us to be so he can do through us everything that his plan and purpose has intended to be and do. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.